be here with you this morning. Sorry about that. Move the mic a little closer to my mouth. It's great to be here with you this morning. As always, it's a blessing to to be in God's house with God's people, to worship God, to sing praises to God, to go to Him in prayer, and to and to read a portion of His Word and study a portion of His Word. Uh, this morning, I hope that. Uh, what we study will be glorifying to God and will help you in your life, will help you reflect on, on your life and, and where you are, maybe where you're going, and, and uh, hopefully uh, you'll be blessed by the message this morning. I want to thank Michael for, for leading that song. I didn't ask him to lead that song, but I think it's perfect um, before every lesson to, to sing a song like that. I think the words are very meaningful, um, that, that the Bible is the light to our feet, and, and it gives us a pathway in which we can live glorifying lives for God. This morning, I want to, to think about a passage from Genesis chapter 16 uh, about a woman named Hagar. And the title of our lesson this morning is, You Are the God Who Sees Me. Growing up, uh, I thought that my parents had eyes in the back of their heads. I thought that they had eyes in every room of the house, it seems, that no matter how how much I tried to get away with something, they would always come around to, to know the truth of what happened, uh, they would always punish accordingly, and uh, it, it just seemed like they always had an eye on, on not just me, but all my brothers as well. Uh, they would tell me not to do something very specific, uh, they, would, they would ask me not to, I don't know, break things, throw a ball in the house, pick on my brothers, uh, you name the activity. It seemed like every time they asked me not to do that thing, I would do my best to look around, make sure no one's watching, no one's there to see, my parents aren't there to see, and then I would go ahead and do what they asked me not to do. And, and it just seemed like they were always just right around the corner, here they come, and they knew exactly what I did, um, that or my brothers would tell on me. So they would find out either way. But you know, they, they watched out for me because they cared for me, they loved me, they wanted me to obey them, they wanted me to do what was right, and, and so I think we do that too with our kids. Um, growing up though and having kids of my own, it doesn't take very long to see that uh, kids just aren't super aware of their surroundings, especially if they're just in the house alone. Uh, they, you can walk right up to them, and if they're busy, they'll have no idea you're there. You can walk away, and they'll, they'll never know that you were even right there behind them. Um, and so that's been, that's been fun to see at, in some cases, not all cases, when we ask Lainey or, or Drew not to do something, and they go ahead and do that thing, and, and, and I guess they think we're not watching. Uh, but we care for people, and, and we want to keep an eye on them. We want to watch them and see what they're doing. We want to make sure they're doing the right thing. But we can't see everything in our children's hearts and minds. We can't see everything in our parents' minds. We can't see everything in our siblings or our brothers and sisters in Christ. But God has a unique ability to see everything about us and to see what's in us and what's in our heart and mind. Genesis chapter 16, I want to go ahead and read this entire section of Scripture. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress 
became despised in her eyes. And Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my mates into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So this is an uncomfortable situation, to say the least. The chapter before, in Genesis chapter 15, God has already made a promise to Abram. In fact, he's made three promises. He promised Abram a child. He promised him great descendants to follow from that, a great nation, a great number of people so much you couldn't count them. He promised him a land to dwell in so that all these people could be in this land together. And he promised him that all nations, not just their people, would be blessed through his descendants. And not very long after that, uh, not only has God already promised and said these things to Abram, Abram could count on God's words, but then God performed a a ceremony to cement those promises. Abram had seen these, these carcasses, animal carcasses, split in two. And he saw this, this, this spirit passing through those carcasses. And that was God ceremoniously cementing his promises to Abram. So Abram can count on God's words and God's promises. But Abraham was, was old. He was about 90 years old, I think, around this time. And Sarah's not very far behind him. She's probably about 80 years old. They're both really old elderly people They can't have kids. They never had the ability to have kids. So Sarah comes up with this genius plan. She says, you know, I'll I'll give you one of my maidservants. So Hagar was was a slave of Sarah's. So he said, so so maybe you can have children through her, and and that can be our child of promise that God has promised us. And so Abram doesn't really reject that idea. Maybe he thinks that's a good idea, and so they go through with this plan. So Hagar doesn't really have much say in this. But when Hagar becomes pregnant, it says that, uh, that her mistress became despised in her eyes. So what that means is that Hagar now despised Sarai because Sarai couldn't have kids. Sarai never conceived and became pregnant, but Hagar is. So maybe Hagar's better than Sarai in some way. We don't know exactly what all happened between them, but Sarai understandably was very upset because she had been Abram's wife all these years. And now Hagar, this, this new wife, comes in, and, and she's pregnant, and now she's treating Sarah terribly. And she tells Abram, do something about this. The Lord judge between you and me. And Abram just kind of backs off and says, well, she's your, your maidservant. You, you do something. You do whatever you want with her. It shows a little bit of a lack of leadership. And so Sarah treats her bad, and she runs away. We pick up in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, In the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? So Hagar is now just out in the wilderness all by herself. She's this pregnant woman out there with no food and no water. Pretty soon she'll die. 
if she doesn't find help. She was headed to a place, but who knows if she would have got there in time to, to get the necessary food and water to live. And so it says, the angel of the Lord found her. God had seen Hagar. God had seen what she was going through. And so a messenger was sent, and he gave her that message that you will have a son. You'll call him Ishmael because God has heard your affliction. God has seen your affliction. And so uh, Hagar's response is she gives God this name. I believe that this is the first occurrence in Scripture where where someone kind of give, gives God a name to characterize him in some way. You are the God who sees. The Hebrew word for that is Elroy. Now, that's Oki tongue. That's not ancient Hebrew tongue. So uh, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but that's Elroy. You are the God who sees. And so she's amazed by this. Have I also here seen him who sees me? And so she goes back to Sarah. She goes back to Abram, and, and things work out uh, for her. And she's able to have that child, and then she has a great number of descendants come from her. I think that there's a lot that we can learn from this passage. I think one question that's necessary to ask is, does God still see? Does God see us? Does God see what we do? Does God know why we do things? And I think a majority of us here this morning understand and believe that God sees, that God sees everything we do, and there's just a few passages I want to share to, to, to submit that belief. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verse number 21, we read, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. <clears throat> so in Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon is writing a warning to his son to stay away from sexual immorality to run away from it. Don't be involved in it. Don't do it. Because generally speaking, normally speaking, sexual immorality is something that's not committed in public. It's not committed in the light. It's committed in the dark. It's committed in privacy. It's committed in, uh, in, in secrecy. And so Solomon says, don't try to hide. Don't get involved in it because your ways are before the eyes of the Lord. God sees it. And not just that, but God ponders his paths. God ponders what we do. He thinks about it. God understands it, and God judges it. And God doesn't just uh, see the, the good things that man does. He sees all the bad. He says, keeping watch on the evil and the good, and God's eyes are in every place. God has seen the worst forms of evil throughout the history of mankind. Shortly before God destroyed the earth with the flood, he... He had seen man, and every single day, man thought about evil things continually. Man thought about wickedness. Man did wickedness, except for Noah and his family. It says God was grieved. God didn't like seeing that. God wished he hadn't made man. He was going to destroy it all. He was going to end it all. So you can, you can think about the worst things that man can possibly do. And hopefully we never have to see that. Hopefully we never have to see those things. But God has had to see it. God's seen it all. God understands it. Sometimes I take that for, for granted. And, and I don't consider that God has, has seen all these evil things and it hurts Him. God doesn't want to see those things. God, God sees all though. God sees everything. God doesn't see uh, just every action of man, but He sees every heart of man and every mind. 
David wrote this beautiful song, the 139th Psalm. For the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God's there. God's everywhere. David asked that question, where can my spirit go to? Can I, can I go somewhere where God doesn't see? He said, if I ascend into heaven, if I ascend to the highest parts of the sky, to the farthest stretch of the universe, God's there and God sees. If David were to break out a shovel and dig the deepest hole that's ever been dug into the earth, God would still see. God would be there. David says, you understand my thought afar off. God understands our thoughts. Three of my favorite words growing up were, I don't know. My parents would ask me, why'd you do that? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to understand why I continually disobeyed them. And I'm sure that I knew the reason. I just wanted to do it. It was fun, whatever I was doing. It's fun to pick on your little siblings. But I would always say that. I don't know. But God understands my thoughts. God is acquainted with all my ways. God knows it closely. Think about your acquaintances maybe at work. You know enough about them to be their acquaintance. You know a little bit about their families. You know a little bit about their hobbies, what they like to do. You know a little bit about their mistakes, maybe. You know a little bit about the good that they've done in their life. And you're acquainted with them. God's well acquainted with our ways. God knows our ways. And we can't hide from it. God knows it all together. David's response in verse number six, he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. We can even begin to comprehend what that would be like to know someone else's heart. Maybe even to know our own heart and our own mind in the way that God sees it and that God understands it. God sees from an ultimately superior perspective than what we do. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So this is probably the most referenced verse when, when thinking about this topic, when thinking about what God sees and, and how he sees it. And the conclusion is, is that all things are naked and open to God's eyes. You know, that, that word is, is sort of an uncomfortable word in itself to say the word nakedness in front of a large audience. It's not, it's not the most comfortable word to use. None of us want to be naked in front of a large crowd. That would be incredibly embarrassing. We've all had that bad dream where we're, we're in a large group, maybe we're at school or at church, and then all of a sudden we're just completely naked and everyone sees it and knows it and it's the worst dream ever and you do your best to wake up. But that's how we are before God. We're naked, we're open. For man, this is the haunting realization that God sees all and knows absolutely everything you've ever done. And that's scary, that scares me. It's not the most comforting thought that God sees all the bad things I've done. Michael McCorkle talked about, uh, during our meeting a little bit, about, about the movie of your life. And, and what if the movie of your life was shown 
to this audience here this morning. How embarrassing would that be? I wouldn't show my face here again. I'd run. I'd be gone. Because I've done some bad things. I've done terrible things. But the problem is, is that God has already seen it. God's seen your movie. God knows your movie. And He knows it better oftentimes than we understand ourselves. No, we can... And it says that we must give account to this God that sees us naked and open. As I said, my three favorite words were, I don't know. I couldn't give an account to my parents. How, how can we give an account to God for the things that we've done? How can we possibly reason with Him and justify our sin? Well, we can't do it. We don't have an answer. We don't have sufficient reasoning within us. Because God has seen it and God knows it. God knows why we've done those things. God understands it better than we do. You know, as, as, as we think about this, it's, it's an uncomfortable thought that God sees all that we've ever done. And that's the first thing I think that I focus on when I think about God being the God that sees. But this morning, I want to focus more on the blessings that come from that. Because there are so many great blessings that come from a God who sees you and understands you and knows you. And so, and, and, and we should reflect. We should be a little scared that God sees everything we've ever done. But I think that there's much greater comfort that can come from that. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking about the blessings of this Elroy, of the God who sees so Hagar's response, have I also here seen him who sees me? Hagar uh, gives this statement of, of admiration to God. She's admiring God because God has seen her in her difficulty. God has seen her in her desperation, and God chooses to help her. You know, Hagar wasn't much. Hagar was, was just a servant. Hagar was a maidservant who was kind of thrust into this situation she probably didn't have a lot of say in this matter, and she gets pregnant with this old man, and now she's, she's been treated terribly, and she runs away. You talk about a desperate time and a desperate situation, but yet God reached down, and God helped her. God sent her back, and she was taken care of. A humble admiration from Hagar. Have I also see, here seen him who sees me? Why me? What have I done? to deserve this. King David had a similar thought. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you, for you, Lord God, know your servant. So God has promised David this, this, this terrific promise and this terrific blessing that David's throne would be established forever. David's throne would never be taken away. And David is, is amazed because nations come and go, kingdoms come and go, thrones come and go, people are conquered. Royalty changes, but God promises David an everlasting royalty for his family. That was in a different way 
than what is normal in this world. It was through Jesus, God's own son. And in that, Jesus has established that eternal throne. But David says, who am I, O Lord God? What, what have I done? What has my family done that you've brought us this far? David says, what, what more can David say to you? It's, it's odd that he uses the third person there. He says, what more can David say to you? And I think in some way David uh, is, is being quite humble because David is a few things, right? David's a king, first of all. Da- David's a mighty man. David defeated Goliath, right? He was a strong warrior. Saul has killed his thousands. David, his ten thousands. David was mighty. David was very faithful as well towards God. There, there were some hiccups in his life, as everyone has. David committed sin. David did terrible things that God had to see. But David was faithful to God. David was all these things, but he just simply says, what more can David say to you? David understands that he's just David. To God, David is just David. David's no king compared to God. David's no mighty warrior compared to God. David's no great faithful man compared to God's faithfulness. David is just David. And how humble is that, that God just sees us for who we are, that God sees you as you this morning. And David understands his place, and he says, for you, Lord God, know your servant. David was saying, I'm just David, God's servant. And so maybe a a mini lesson within this lesson is how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself simply as God's servant? I'm I'm just Brenton. I'm just I'm God's servant. That's that's all. I'm nothing more. I'm I'm no I'm no great man. I'm no great faithful person. I haven't done anything so spectacular that I would deserve any of God's blessings. But I'm God's servant because He's given me so much. You know, God sees us. And God is our help. For those hurting and desperate like Hagar, this is an an amazing realization that there's no pit too deep or situation too desperate that our God won't be there to help. In Psalm chapter 46, to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song for Alamoth, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God's a very present help. When your car breaks down, on the highway, do you have a very present help that can immediately spring into action and get whatever is fixed that needs to be fixed? Oftentimes, the answer is no, right? We got to call a tow truck. We got to wait around on the tow truck. Maybe they'll take us home. Maybe we call Will. Maybe Will can come help us. We don't know. But there's no very present help. We can't immediately just fix that car and keep driving down the road. But God is a very present help. God is there. God sees you, God watches you, and God's able to lift you up. So God was with Hagar. Hagar, I would consider that maybe the deepest trench in her life, the deepest pit where she's so desperate, there's, there's really nothing she can do for herself. Pregnant in the wilderness, starving, thirsting greatly for water, but God was present because God is there, and God watches, and God sees no matter how, how desperate the situation is, God is there to help you. Sometimes, you know, you hear people say, well, I've done too much wrong for God to forgive me. I've done too much evil. I'm in too deep. And sometimes I think it's easy for us to think that as well. 
when we get trapped in sin and we get stuck in sin and, and we're a victim to sin. Sin has us by the throat sometimes in our lives and, and the sure way to continue in your sin and not to make any changes is to think that thought. I've gone too far. I'm in the pit too deep. I've done too much bad for God to, to help me, for God to forgive me. But God's your very present help in trouble. And when you're hurting and desperate, maybe you're here this morning and you're hurting and you're desperate spiritually. Remember, God is here. God sees you. God watches you and God understands you. And God will help you because he is your very present help in trouble. When our circumstances offer us heartache and and suffering, the God who sees offers you peace. That's a great blessing that God sees us and God still wants to offer us peace anyways. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus How can we rejoice in the Lord always? How can He be our joy? How can He uh, be our strength? How can He be our rock? He says, be anxious for nothing, but how? By prayer, by supplication, by giving thanks. Make your requests known to God. Sure, God sees it. God knows it already. But pour your heart out to God. Pour your heart out through prayer. Tell God what's bothering you. Tell Him what you need help with. What's the result? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, as, as I mentioned, being in those desperate spiritual situations and thinking I've done too much bad, God won't help me, that's a dangerous thought. That keeps you from growing. That keeps you from changing. Because ultimately, you, you don't see how you can change. But this reflection and, and this prayer... And having the peace of God guards you from that mentality, guards your heart and guards your minds through Christ Jesus. When Hagar was in heartache and and, and suffering, God offered her peace. He said, go back. Go back to Sarah. Go back to Abram. Maybe Hagar didn't think that was the, the, the greatest thing to do, but it offered her peace. She was able to go back somewhere and be taken care of. She didn't have to die stranded out in the wilderness. God offered her peace, and God will offer you peace. So where do you go when you're desperate? Where do you go when you sin? Where do you go when you fail? Do you go to somewhere in the world? Do you go to substances? Do you go to experiences to find joy, to find peace? Well, that peace doesn't last long. That peace goes away soon. But God's peace, it surpasses all understanding. We, we can't hardly fathom it at times. If people ask, how, how do you get through this life without just falling apart? It's because of Jesus. It's because of God. Because God grants us that peace. When we choose consistent faithfulness to God who sees us, God will offer blessing, spiritual blessing. Second Chronicles chapter 16 Verse number 7, And at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria 
and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you, ha- because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. <clears throat> so at this time, Asa was a good king. Asa was a good man. Asa followed after God. Asa's heart was loyal to God, and he led the people with that same heart. But eventually, the, the northern kingdom of Israel begins attacking the southern kingdom of Judah. At this time, the kingdom was split. Even though Israel, the northern kingdom, was very wicked and very evil in their ways, they, they basically started off on the wrong foot and never really turned back from their ways of idolatry and betrayal to God, they still had a very large army, a very strong military, because they had ten tribes of the nation of Israel. Judah only had two, but Judah relied on God. So when Israel comes and and they're beginning to attack the southern kingdom of Judah, Asa goes to the king of Syria and asks him for help. He doesn't go to God. He doesn't ask God for help. And so Hanani the seer brings this message to him. He says, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? He said, this has happened before. This isn't the first time that Judah has been attacked. He said, but you relied on God, and God helped you. God delivered you from their hand. But this time, Asa didn't rely on God. So what does Hanani tell him? He says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. When we have hearts that are loyal to God, When we go to God in our problems, when we go to God when times are good, God will give us strength. And God watches throughout the earth. God wants to bless people whose heart is loyal to Him. So understand that God watches you wanting you to succeed. As parents, we watch our kids and we want them to do good. We want them to succeed. We want them to make the right choice. We don't want for them to do bad. We don't wait in anticipation to punish them and enjoy punishing them. God doesn't watch us that way. God watches us, wanting us to choose Him. And when we do, God will bless us. God will give us strength if our hearts are loyal to Him. So what does God see in you this morning? How does God view you this morning? In Galatians chapter 3, Verse number 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Being baptized not only washes you and cleanses you from your sin, but it provides a new spiritual covering for you. And God won't see you in your sin. God won't see you in your filth. But God will see you under the righteousness of His Son, who is perfect, who had no blemish, who had no spot. Just as God gave Adam and Eve a covering after they had eaten the fruit in the garden and they they tried to clothe themselves, they realized they were naked. They were ashamed. They were naked before God, too. So they tried to make this covering, but they hid from God. They were ashamed. They were scared. But God provided a covering that was sufficient. He gave them animal skins. And God has given us the greatest covering 
that he could possibly give, his son, his righteousness. And then that cleansing, God sees us in a different light. God sees us in a different way. Being entrenched in sin, living in sin and, and, and in darkness, you forget that. You don't remember that you've been washed and you've been cleansed, but your mind strays. Your mind thinks, well, well I've just done too much. God won't forgive me. God won't help me. But when you're baptized in the blood of Jesus, God sees you through the righteousness of His Son, and God is willing to forgive. Just as the father, when the prodigal son returned home, the son thought, if I could just go be a servant, that would be better than what I'm doing now. He was living with the pigs, eating the pig food. He had spent all his, his inheritance on, on sinful living. He says, if I can just go back and be a servant, that'll be good enough. But when he comes home, his father is there with open arms receiving him with, with tears, weeping and kissing him, loving him. And God will do the same for you. God will welcome you with open arms and forgive. Back to Psalm 139. We won't read this entire section. But in verse number 9, If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. <clears throat> no matter how far we are, as David mentioned uh, before this, if he ascended to the highest of the heavens or, or to the depths of hell, God's hand would be there. God would see him. God would be with him. He said, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Your right hand will secure me, and God won't let go. We'll let go. We'll run from God. We'll turn our back on God, but God won't let go. David said, surely, if the darkness falls on me, that's okay. He says, indeed, the darkness won't hide from you. He says, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to God. God sees through it. And in the darkest times of our life, God is able to see through it. And God will help us. God will pull us out of that pit if we turn to Him, if we run to Him. Verse number 17, he says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! We can't, we can't begin to, to calculate the value of God's blessings to us. He says, How precious are your thoughts to me. <clears throat> we, we see God... And I think people get carried away in, in, in what they think about God. And sometimes, you know, people think that God is, is some puppet master who's making things miserable in their lives. And, and God's just waiting for them to do wrong so he can punish them. And maybe we think that way too. But the reality is, is that God's thoughts are precious towards us. God loves you. God will hold you. God will lead you if your heart's loyal to him. How great is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand, than every tiny grain of sand that exists on all the beaches of the world in every kid's sandbox. God's thoughts are, are, are greater. The sum of them are greater than every single grain of sand. And how wonderful of a blessing that is, that we have a God who watches us, that we, that we have a God who, who sees us, 
through the difficulties. God leads us through the hard times, and God blesses us. And God has given us everything we need, and God has given us his son. David closes that song with uh, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's interesting to me that David requests this to God because he's already said previously that God understands his thoughts. God knows what he's done. Nothing's hidden from God, but yet he says, search me. He says, search me and know my heart. Try me. And what he's asking God for is help. Cleanse me. Release me from these burdens. He says, lead me in the way everlasting. That should be our prayer. God will lead you in the way everlasting, no matter your difficulties and no matter your situation. This morning, are you walking covered in the blood of Christ without His righteousness covering you? Without that forgiveness of sin, there's fear and trembling when thinking about this. When you realize that God has seen everything and God will judge everything and you will have to give an account to Him and you're not covered in the blood of Christ, that makes you scared. That terrifies you. And you'll live your life in fear and trembling, waiting for that moment. Are you walking in darkness? Maybe you, you are a Christian. Maybe you've been cleansed by the blood of, of Jesus, but your life isn't where it needs to be. Your life is far off the track, and, and you're walking down a, a path of darkness and suffering and pain. With darkness, there's the same thing. There's fear and trembling. And as Paul wrote to the early church, God, God will take out His wrath on the sons of disobedience. As, as Christians, we can still turn our back on God, and we, we've talked about that quite a bit lately, falling from grace. But we can turn our back on God and leave Him. But here's the thing, is that God watches you, wanting you, to succeed. God doesn't want you to walk in darkness. God wants you to walk in the light. And God will lead you and God will help you and will help you as well. We're here for each other. If you're here this morning and you would like to be baptized into the blood of Christ, to have that security of God's right hand holding you, we can help you with that. Don't put that off any further. If you're here this morning and, and, and you're walking in darkness, maybe, maybe you're just embarrassed by the things you've done. I've been that way before. I felt really embarrassed about life, the lifestyles that I've lived in my life. And it's easy to push that away and say, well, I know that God sees me. I know that God knows what I've done. But if people see what I've done and if people know what I've done, then, then maybe their viewpoint will be, will be different about me. But what's most important is how God sees you. And if God sees you with a loyal heart to Him, making changes in your life and living for Him, then that's all, that's all you need. God will bless you, and we're not here to judge you. We're not here to look at you differently because you struggle, because we all struggle. We all fail. And there's sometimes we're all in a trench. We're all in a pit of sin, but God will deliver us from that. If you need prayers of strength from the church, we're willing to help. We're willing to study. We're willing to encourage you because God's word will give you life. If there's one of either case, please come forward.
as we stand and sing.